This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad? Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom, and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Get in the know, non-stop Vikings talk. It's Purple Daily on Score North and scorenorth.com. Oh, contraire, it's Purple Daily on Draft on the Purple Daily Network of Shows. Thor Nystrom, Tyler Fornis here to break down our weekly draft-centric uh, show here on Purple Daily where we break down the NFL draft. We've taken mock draft season, we've taken the draft, we morphed it into a year-long show here on Purple Daily. We're a couple months into this now, so... Hit that subscribe button, hit that like button. And if you have any feedback you'd like to give us uh, that you'd like to answer it on the show, it could be football related. Uh, if you really want to really pander to, to Tyler and I that could be wrestling related, Thor can just kind of sit there and watch. Uh, or if you have any like Kansas Jayhawk stuff you want to throw at Thor, that also works too. Thor, I'll give you a bone there. Um, if you want anything answered, shoot us a note in the YouTube comment section. You hit us up on the Score North app as well. We'll get to them. We actually have some feedback questions we'll uh, get to later on in the show here on Purple Daily on Draft. Uh, we teased this last week, though, fellas. Uh, we wanted to talk about Lewis Seen because now OTAs are over, minicamps over. We're like exactly, I believe, a month away from training camp basically opening at TCO. So we're kind of in that dwell. We're in the actual true, true offseason of football talk. And we've talked a little bit about Lewis Seen on this show, but we haven't talked to it uh, at nauseum yet. So let, let's let's get into this Lewis Seen talker here. So, uh, Thor, I'll, I'll start with you. I guess I'll just say this right off the bat. At pick 32, going back and looking at it now, was Lewis seen a reach? I want to start there. We like to talk about these draft terms right now. Was Lewis seen a reach at pick 32? Not in a vacuum, no. However, and I said this at the time, I would not have traded down. I would have taken Kyle Hamilton in the slot that they were in. But having done the trade down... I don't believe that he was a reach at 32 at the time. Obviously, you don't have the benefit of hindsight, and we'll see how it goes. We ends up going with Seam, but I don't think he was a reach at 32 at, at, with what we knew at the time. Okay, Forno, when you look at Lewis Seen, uh, I believe you were a fan of that pick, too. He was just a heat-seeking missile at Georgia. Uh, do you believe that was a that pick was a reach at 32? I don't think it was a reach, but I would have gone in a different direction considering the Vikings had decided to trade down at that point, And they decided to pass on Kyle Hamilton. They decided to pass on Jamison Williams and it, whether fair or foul, he seen is going to be compared to Kyle Hamilton, his entire yeah. career and right now. It's not looking good. And that's not all due to Lewis seen. It's also due to the fact that Kyle Hamilton was just a stud in that defense. Once he really got on the field and started playing meaningful snaps early on, he was a lot doing a lot of special teams, but as the season progressed, he showed a lot more and more and they basically just dumped Chuck Clark on the jets. For nothing. And uh, in hindsight, it kind of looks okay because Clark tore his ACL, but that's a happenstance thing. That's not a, hey, this guy's not very good because Clark is a good safety. 
But that shows you what Hamilton was able to do that first year. I liked the idea of Lewis seeing I still like the idea of him, but I would have gone in a different direction at 32. Like kind of like even not even necessarily hindsight, but just at the time Thor would have taken Hamilton. I was fine with the trade down in a vacuum. I would have taken a guy like Logan Hall guy like Christian Watson, both of whom went 33 and 34. There was a lot of talent on the board and the fact that they were actually took a safety with the analytics GM in his first draft, I thought was very interesting because safety, even though it's becoming more of a too high league, it is not what you would consider a premium position. And that's, it's going to be fascinating to watch this develop and how Quasi Dofamens is using that data. And a lot of analytics is stuff that we just don't see. Um, We see PFF, we see EPA, we see CPOE, and we see all those forward-facing metrics. But that's not what all analytics is. There's a lot more to it. And the fact that he he decided, hey, this heat-seeking missile safety from Georgia is going to fit my analytics. Like, And some of this is just kind of paraphrasing, reading tea leaves. That fascinates me. And it's it's going to be fun to watch, but uh, he's going to always be compared to Hamilton. Yeah, he's definitely going to have his name linked to him for a long time, especially too if Hamilton indeed uh, morphs into this All Pro Pro Bowl level safety, and he had a really good rookie year too. Uh, Thor, I want to take this comment here from a YouTube uh, from a YouTube question and kind of just ask it to you. He says uh, that's that's TA thirty two X on our Purple Daily YouTube channel. He asks, he says, excuse me, he says. If Lewis Seen can't beat out Cam Bynum to start this year, then he is an absolute bust. Thor, if Lewis Seen can't beat out Cam Bynum this year, is he a bust? Oh, we're getting there. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're, get, we're getting there. Yeah, I mean, like, if you had your concern meter, you know, like a yeah. gauge, and, and zero is not concerned whatsoever, optimistic even, and then 10 would be where a DEFCON 9 concern. I think right now everybody's probably at like a seven was seen, maybe even 7.5. If, if, yeah, if he doesn't win a starting job coming out of camp this year in the second season, I think we're moving up closer to nine. I, like you can't just start hitting that 10 yet, but you're moving closer to that. And of course you have to give him the context of he's coming off the injury, but yeah, that we're entering deep, deep, deep concern territory at that point it definitely feels like right like on a teeter-totter that we're teetering definitely more on the bus scale than a hit scale at least this early on i know and that that you know could that pendulum could go the other way for sure uh but it definitely is tracking that way i guess uh forno same kind of thing there if he can't beat out cam bynum i guess what does that tell you about lewis seen as an nfl prospect i'm not reading too much into it and i think there's there's two ways you can look into it kind of how thor mentioned it where if he doesn't beat out cam bynum you have a lot on the concern meter I don't care if he beats out Cam Bynum because of how Brian Flores is going to be utilizing a lot of these defensive backs. I'm looking at snap shares. I'm looking at how often he's on the field. To me, that means more. What is seen doing? How is he contributing on defense? How much is he playing? I I don't care if he beats out Cam Bynum at all, because I think the idea is going to be he's going to take over for Harrison Smith next year. How much is seen going to play this year based on how much he's earned how well he's practicing, how well training camp goes. I think those things mean a lot more than, is he going to beat out Cam Bynum? They're going to use a lot of players in that back end. They're going to do a lot of those three safety looks. They're going to be doing a lot of different things than what we saw last year. Last year was mainly based on 
this is our structure. We're going to stay within the structure. This year's going to be a lot more out of the box thinking in comparison. And how much scene plays, I think, is going to mean a lot more than him beating anyone out, as I use those air quotes once again. So, Thor, is there is there a silver lining? I know Forno kind of just touched on that a little bit. Is there a silver lining, though, if if Scene doesn't start right away and he doesn't beat out Cam Bynum? Is there a silver lining still if he can still maybe be a productive NFL player? I guess, how do you kind of look at that? Yeah, it it I mean if if he doesn't if he doesn't win the starting job or if his his snap share is low to start the season, it doesn't categorically mean that that he's not going to turn into an NFL player, but at that point, you know, the reason that I'm concerned obviously is the odds of him getting there. The road would seem to be pretty long at that point. I think with seen right now, you're looking at basically three different buckets of possibilities to explain what we've seen and no pun intended. Uh number 1, Scene was raw last year, and he would have cracked the lineup eventually had he not been injured. Number two, Vikings are easing Scene back due to the severity of his injury. They don't want to rush him where he's at right now in the offseason and, and where we're at in the offseason right now. It has zero bearing on anything whatsoever. But probably the Occam's razor explanation on this, at least where we sit right now, Scene underwhelmed last year. That part of it is indisputable when he was on the field. Obviously, he had difficulty even getting on for defensive snaps. We saw more on special teams. And despite not making a swift recovery from his injury, he is still not in line to play. I will give him the caveat that it's it's quick off the injury and we're early in the offseason, but that still is a fact as well. And all signs point to not only has he not leapfrogged Bynum as expected to this point, but also that he himself has been uh, passed and leapfrogged by Metellus. So, I mean, that that third bucket obviously is the most concerning one, and it is the most plausible explanation for where we sit right now. So, Forno, is safety a position that you can kind of take your time to develop? Like, can you be patient with a safety as, as, as a prospect? I mean, if sometimes with quarterbacks, they flame out right away, but then you know they bounce around a little bit and they turn out to be a, a capable backup, or maybe they pop up later in their life. I guess, how patient should the Vikings be with Lewisine as a safety? Because to me, when I, when I see the position safety, I don't look at that as, oh, man, they have to hit a safety right away, or that defense could be disastrous. I kind of look at it as a position where you can maybe take your time with the development to a degree, and it won't obviously completely burn you if that guy flames out either. I kind of relate safety to playing cornhole. The concept is easy. <laughs> but mastering it's difficult. So like, and if you want to read more about Cornwall, I just wrote a feature on Alexander Madison and Vikings. I can check it out right now, Uh, but it's the concepts of safety are very easy and it's a position based on intelligence where a lot of like cornerbacks will go when their athleticism starts to wane and they're still able to use that brain of theirs to be able to really maximize their skill set. You've seen it constantly. Rod Woodson extended his career like six, seven years by becoming, by going from, Shutdown cornerback who most people forget Rod Woodson was the best cornerback of the nineties and I will fight people on it. And he extended his career a lot by playing safety and he ended up winning. I believe he won a super bowl with the Baltimore Ravens in 2000 because of it. There's so many little nuances. And if you at least master, I'm not going to get absolutely torched over the top at safety. You can live with some of the little things that they're not doing very well. And that ends up kind of working itself out and you can kind of grow and develop on the fly. But then you have a guy like Metellus who came in as really a, an average athlete right. and his intelligence is earning him opportunities in minicamp with the three safety package. He's always had the brain for it. And now it's really starting to come into uh, fruition as we get a nice little run in from Felix there. <laughs> it's 
<laughs> he was feeling let down. That was awesome. Hey, I, I don't blame him. Odie is sitting here on the floor just chewing on his bone. He turns two in <laughs> uh, he turns one in two days. Nice. So that's a that's gonna really be a big fact. Safety is a position where you can kind of figure it out early as long as you're not a disaster. And I, I Judd talked about it last year with Brian Asamoa. You put him in too early, he could be a disaster. But he can also make those special plays. And now he's really it looks like he's starting to come into his own and he's not going to be a disaster, but he'll still have some flaws. And I think Scene is kind of in that bubble. But you have guys in front of him who aren't going to make as many flawed plays. And I think that's going to play a big factor, especially with a guy like Flores. And just, just to jump off Tyler's point, you know, we talk about tight end as the offensive position. That's one of the slowest acclimating from college to the NFL. I sort of see safety like that on defense. People don't often typically associate it with that, but what Tyler mentions, it's so true with the quarterback uh, cornerback position. It's more about athleticism and just sort of reacting to things in the moment and different stuff like that. And if you have those gifts and stuff, you can shut down guys with that immediately. We see cornerbacks come out who are studs right out of the package, right from day one, Sauce Gardner, and you can go back the the different years and the different drafts, guys that have been shut down corners from day one. But safeties, even the really good ones, a lot of times you do need a little bit of a a runway, a little bit of an acclimation period. Even Kyle Hamilton, Forno was mentioning this earlier in the show, who was very good in the latter part of, of his rookie season, they still wanted him to get the acclimation time. That was months and months and months into his time with the Ravens before they trusted him on the field full-time. And obviously then he turned out to be good. Seen when he was at Georgia, people got to remember, he played on a historically good defense with first, second, third round defenders all around him. And then all around on the two deep coming off of the bench and whatnot. Seen was very, very good. And he was very reliable as well over his couple of years starting. He was one of the best tackling safeties in that class. In, in terms of the lowest uh, percentage of missed tackles, even though he was one of the most violent hitters, everything like that. And his coverage numbers were very good, but he was given a little bit more access to freelance in the back half than he would have been given on some other teams, merely just because the defenders around him were so, so, so good. The quarterbacks on the opposing team obviously did not have much time to throw. The, the cornerbacks playing around him were studs, lockdown type guys. There weren't many times where seen was stuck in bad spots. And so you got to see the flash plays with him running down the alley to help out in the run game, uh, more so than you see uh, typically associated with free safeties coming down and laying that hammer or coming down and getting involved in those catch points. That downhill attacking type, type thing that Forno was talking about before, that's the type of playmaker he is. And in that Georgia system, that's all he had to do. He'd sit back in center field. And then he just triggered downhill once he he knew what was going on there. But again, he got more freelancing uh, responsibilities because of how good the defense was around him. It was going to take him a little bit of time acclimating into the Vikings and an NFL system, no matter what. And then obviously, so, so you had that at the beginning of last season, then you had the catastrophic injury. So we do have to give him both those pieces of context. That's why I'm not hitting. There are people out there that are just hitting the bus button, the bus button right now. I'm not willing to do that. We need to get through year two with him coming off of that injury. You have to give him the time to acclimate from college um, to, to the NFL at that position that he's playing because it is a slower acclimation process at that position. But, yeah, if, if we get to the middle of his second year and we're not seeing him on, on defensive snaps, that's where we have to start hitting that panic button. I want to jump on this real quick before we go on, Dex. And I think Thor made a really good point. He said there were first, second, and third-round picks surrounding him. 
And one of the issues that we saw with Georgia defenders, and especially during the evaluation process, specifically like a Trayvon Walker, they're asking these guys to do one or two things. You're fitting a system. You are not a player. You are in a system. And we're going to ask you to do X. And that's all we want you to do. So Trayvon Walker was barely asked to develop any form of a pass rush plan. He did not have a lot of moves. He was asked to be a run-stuffing defensive end. And he was tremendous at it. And he was able to still make a little bit of an impact on the passing game. And that's why he was such a disparity among draft evaluators. Cause you didn't know what he was going to be because they didn't ask him or really allow him to do anything else. And with a guy like scene, you have him in the back end able to be that missile. Well, when you're that missile, you're not doing a lot of the nuances that guys like Harrison Smith are taking care of in the national football league. That's a big deal. And when you're, asked to play a position instead of playing a system that's going to make a really big impact on that development curve and I wanted to expand on that because Thor made an excellent point with how that defense was structured so, so looking at that Georgia defense too so what scene I believe was one two three four was one of the five guys drafted in the first round from that Georgia defense or from that Georgia team I should say uh, Trayvon Walker went absolute number one overall Jordan Davis went to the Eagles at pick 13. Uh, Quay Walker, the linebacker, went to the Packers at pick 22. Uh, Devontae Wyatt went to also, uh, is it the Green Bay Packers? Yeah, Green Bay Packers at, uh, at pick 28. Was, was, I mean, that defense in college football was historically great. But do we And su- they had two first-round picks this year in Jalen yeah. Carter and Nolan Smith. That's seven. So do we sometimes when we look at like the powerhouses like the Georgias, like the Bamas, and we see that system and it's incredibly coaching and it's incredibly schemed up, do we sometimes get like, is there beer goggles on to those players? Like then how come some of those players, I guess, Thor, just like don't end up developing into even capable NFL players? There's some of it where like what Forno's talking about is what he's saying is totally right. Like with, you know, for instance, just the, the Georgia front, um, we're talking about Carter, uh, Jalen Carter. We're talking about Trayvon Walker, uh, Jordan Davis, you know, different guys like that. They, they were in a rotation. So all those guys, they never played full snaps. Like you've seen on, on all the other different college teams, their star uh, defensive linemen. And then what, what Forno talking about too, is they just had the one gap. So they had the responsibility for the one gap, but on a lot of plays, if they weren't doing anything exotic, they're not trying to fool you up front. It's basically just occupy your dude if it's a run play, but they don't, if, if it's a pass rushing thing, they don't want you freelancing too much because they don't want to open up scrambling lanes for the quarterbacks. So it's sort of this disciplined style of game or whatever, but then, you know, th- then you can come off in waves. You're never really put into a bad situation, whatever. And with regards to seeing, it was playing in the center field thing. They knew that he was awesome coming downhill. They knew the thing that he struggled with is playing with his ball to, I'm sorry, his back to the ball, right? Like he did play some snaps in the slot. He wasn't as good, nearly as good in coverage with those because he has the athleticism to stay with you for sure. But when he has to then turn around, try to track the ball over his shoulder, that's where he really struggles. And his aggression falls way down then. Um, he's just not as comfortable with it. But when he can see everything in front of him and read the whole field, and then he can crash down, and he more or less has that system responsibility imbued into him. Maybe you cut the field in half for him, or, or maybe he just has a couple of keys as his responsibility, and you can just let him off the leash at that point, whether it's to come and crash down on the run with the responsibility of that, the freedom of that, or whether that's you know c- come and crash down on the catch point. 
that's where you saw all those those enormous collisions. Him jarring people from the ball, causing fumbles, causing incompletions. I, I hesitate to even bring this up because this is Forno's boy on, on Forno's college team. But the famous hit that he had on Kyle Pitts was one of many mm-hmm. that, that, that Scene had, but was just the most vaunted hitman in college. But again, some of that's you're playing to his strengths and you're keeping him sort of in a in, in a box, as it were, where you're allowing him to freelance, but within his sort of sort of lane. Right. You're not putting him in these different formation spots and asking him to do things that, that are, are outside of his uh, skill set and outside of his comfort zone where you're allowing him to, to do the freelancing. It's when Lewis, when you know where that ball is going, whether it's on the pass or whether it's the run, we give you total freedom to start crashing downhill. That's where you'd see him take the direct path to the ball. You'd see him lay the lumber when he got there. You always see him wrapping up. Like I said, he was one of the most reliable tacklers in the class, even though he caused some of the biggest percentage of, of fumbles per tackle in the class. You, you saw different stuff like that. I happen to think that Brian Flores' scheme is a way, way better fit for seeing than Donatel's, because obviously Donatel's one of the most passive defensive coordinators we've ever seen, and Brian Flores is one of the most aggressive in the entire NFL. So I think that's going to be a good fit. We do need to, you know, right now it's only June 26th, right? We have a couple months left here. Brian Flores needs to get in there these next two months with Louis Seen, really work with that kid. What can we uh, do with him th- this coming year and early on in the season where he can fit my scheme, where we can squeeze value out of him? And then you start to, that's where you get sort of your base there. And then you can just build up from there. And then hopefully we build him into that player that Quasi and Kevin O'Connell saw on draft day. Or no, uh, it, it, and or uh, Thor just talked about it a little bit there, but is there anything that he can do in training camp to get basically Lewis Seen up to speed here? Is there anything that Brian Flores can do to kind of schematically get Lewis Seen to be back on track in his development? Is there anything you'd like to see him do and utilize that maybe he did at Georgia that can maybe even implement at the NFL level? I just want to see him play. Um, I think that's the biggest thing yep. because he had that broken leg last year. And one of my uh, writers at Vikings are Kevin Fielder broke his leg in all in almost the same manner like their breaks were very similar i mean kevin's was not suffered on a football field but just the comeback from that and how much you have to go through like he he was floored when scene was running after four months like sprinting he thought it was just absolutely insane and nfl athletes are just a whole different caliber but i'm not reading into scene necessarily not being featured during minicamp very much until training camp and he's not featured much at all. That's going to be a big red flag for me. I just want to see him play. I want to see him be put in positions to succeed. I want to see him be able to crash downhill. I think he'd be great in those three safety sets playing like a Rover, just being able to watch the ball and then just like um, visualize and attack. I think those would be really good situations for him, but like it's so tough when you're trying to project players from all time defenses because how much of it was them? And like we talked about with Georgia, like he was asked to do like one thing, that one thing he was great at, but he wasn't asked to do a lot. And when you're in the NFL, it's not that simple. And understanding the player and their intelligence and their aptitude for growth and development, that is so key in trying to identify those guys. I want to see him on the field because I think that's the only way we're going to know if he's going to be good or not. Having him sit on the sidelines to learn, I don't think is doing him any good. I think you need to find a way to get him on the field and utilize him to attack. 
And and there's one sort of thought experiment I want to toss out here for you guys and to think about, you know, we, we talk about seeing and maybe some of the things, maybe where he was a little bit potentially flattered by the Georgia situation. Maybe, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have to end up seeing on that. I, mm-hmm. I want to go sort of the other way with this and maybe one area of his game that could be way better in the NFL and or under Flores than it was at Georgia you look back at, at seeing coming out of Georgia, 9.92 Raz at over 6'2", over 200 pounds. Overall in his class in the safeties, he was 11th in PFF grade, 16th in coverage, 9th in tackling, even higher in tackling efficiency, in efficiency like I was mentioning earlier. And he was 10th in PFF run defense. There was one area where he lagged way behind, and it was because Georgia just didn't use him there whatsoever, like we were talking about with the scheme stuff that they did. They, they, did, they don't use their safeties like this. PFF pass rushing grade, he was 76. I really shouldn't have even included him because he didn't qualify. They only sent him 15 times over his entire career on a blitz. And a lot of the times that was just controlled stuff. They didn't they didn't send him like his hair on fire or whatnot. Brian Flores, as we all know, loves to send his defensive backs. Louis Seen, his biggest strength is flying downhill. Like, don't even think, Louis, just go downhill and attack. I have to wonder with his play style and the way that that kid plays and the, the fearlessness and everything like that, is there unlocked potential, pot- you know, potentially as a guy that could rush the passer in Flores' scheme where he's always sending the defensive backs, sending guys for, you know, it, the exotic blitzes from all different angles, everything like that. Something we did not see whatsoever at Georgia. They literally never used him like that. I think that's something that potentially Brian Flores could unlock with him. What do you guys think about that? I like that idea because Flores has a history of doing it, right? And I like the untapped thing. So if he has warts uh, as a safety or in pass coverage or traditional things that he has to do, well then, is there an area of his game that we haven't looked at and can we utilize it, right? And I, I think that's where they have to get really creative with his, their development. And in general, um, with Flores' defense just being very confusing to opposing teams and sending these guys and sending players that maybe wouldn't typically blitz the quarterback or send someone at the house... I think the Lewis scene angle probably works really, really well there um, because, yeah, exactly. If you can figure out a way to make him a, like even an elite pass rusher or some type of um, some type of dummy where the defense is getting confused on where he's supposed to be, I think that's uh, that's good news for Lewis's scene development. I don't know about you, Forno, but that's kind of where I would look at it. Yes, Thor's right. Yes, but I don't really have anything else to say than that we haven't already said. He's right. Like, get him to do what he's best at attack, attack, attack. And I think Flores is going to, is the perfect, absolute perfect player to help extract that from him. I like it. Uh, boys, any last thoughts on Lewis senior before I get to some fan questions, you got anything else on him, or should we get to these, uh, these feedback pieces? I, I say, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater yet. Let's not call him a bus <laughs> yet. Like let's, let's let him get through a, a little bit of time here, get through camp. Let's at least get, let's, you know, make a pact as sort of a fan base. Let's, let's at least get to the halfway point of this coming season before we just say that pick was a waste in a bus. Let's give him just a little bit of time. There's some circumstances there that contextual things. We should give him a little bit of time. So patience. I'm going to take one more step patience. further. Patience. I'm going to take that one step further, Thor. We got to wait till year three, midway through year three. This is basically rookie season 2.0. He's learning a whole new playbook. He only played two defensive snaps in 2022. He's basically getting a do-over, and we have to be patient. Now, when you look at other teams, oh, their they're second-year guys are already like borderline all pros. Yeah, it's frustrating. But we also were spoiled with Jefferson and Derrissa. We need to be patient with this guy. 
All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. All right, boys, let's uh, let's get to a couple of these questions I have um, from our YouTube comments section. And again, if you want anything answered, please uh, shoot us a comment on the YouTube page or hit us up on the Score North app. There's a feedback tab you can ask these questions at. Uh, Charles says, how do you re-sign Justin Jefferson without a quarterback? So what I think he means there is two things. Number one, if they enter the uncertainty of Kirk Cousins and they're going down the rookie quarterback route, does that hurt Justin Jefferson's chances of being locked up? Obviously, they're trying to do it right now, right? They're trying to do it this summer before uh, the season starts. But let's say maybe this stalls out. I mean, negotiations are wild, right? So let's say it stalls out. Can you convince Justin Jefferson, Thor, to re-sign if you're indeed going to draft a rookie quarterback? Well, I think, you know, for for this reason and also for just the straight economic reasons, it is imperative to get Jefferson signed to that extension this offseason. You, Justin Jefferson is the best wide receiver in football, and he just turned 24, right? You want – make him the highest-paid receiver going forward right now. Give him the richest contract in, in NFL history for a receiver right now because you don't want now the fourth-best receiver and then the sixth-best receiver and the seventh-best receiver in the NFLs resetting that market before Justin Jefferson has a chance to sign his extension because it's just going to mean more money. And then what what uh, this gentleman's question is asking about, it's outside contextual things that could complicate this thing beyond the economics. Yeah. So th- the Vikings have every incentive in the world to get that thing signed. I think once Justin Jefferson is signed long-term, you know, the idea that, that uh, Kirk Cousins is here this season and then potentially the Vikings go out in the first round uh, next April – and they, they bring in someone that they're really excited about a prospect, I think it becomes much easier to talk Justin Jefferson into that. And Justin, we want you to be the leader here. You're the guy. This guy is going to know to get you the ball and yada, yada. You are the leader of this offense. I think that's going to be a lot easier to talk him into as opposed to if it's like, oh, now we have to convince Justin to come back. And he's looking at all these other teams with all their quarter, veteran quarterbacks. And he's like, oh, that could be a good situation. That could be a good situation. You want him feeling good about this one long term. Give him a blank check. We need that guy <laughs> locked up long term. Forno, same thing. Give him a blank check. Get him get this deal done right away. So maybe you don't even have to answer this question. Like, is that kind of how you look at it? I I get where he's coming from. And when you look at the history of the Minnesota Vikings, we've been snake bitten a lot. But I, I want to pose a question here. How often do receivers not sign extensions because of a bad quarterback situation? doesn't happen very often like like Terry McLaurin in that awful commander's quarterback room that's been a turnstile since Kirk Cousins left signed a a big extension like it doesn't matter and I don't think the fact that Kirk Cousins stays or goes is going to make an impact on whether Justin Jefferson signs a contract or not it's going to be a lot of other things if the scheme is good if he's happy here if the money's right I believe he's going to sign that extension and quarterback is not necessarily going to play a big factor in it. What is interesting is having Jefferson, these two bookend tackles and then Jordan Addison, TJ Hawkinson, 
the Vikings have the best setup of any team in the National Football League with Kevin O'Connell as head coach to be a nurturing spot for a rookie quarterback. So I don't really see that being an issue. I don't think it's going to come into play at all. And I think that's a good thing overall for the Vikings. Okay. Yeah, by the way, Scary Terry, uh, I was in D.C. last year right before the season started. He was drinking a glass of red wine at the same bar I was at right before the season opened. So I, I think he's doing just fine. You know, if he's uh, if he has to get Carson Wentz or if it's Taylor Heineke or whoever the hell is throwing him the football, old Scary Terry is going to be uh, just fine there. Uh, this one from ATK047. says, I think the Vikings front office isn't showing their cards for the 2024 draft for a reason. I potentially don't see them giving up Justin Jefferson either to move to number one. Let's just go down that first sentence there, Thor. Uh, I think the Vikings front office isn't showing their cards for the 2024 draft for a reason. Is there even, I guess, cards to show yet? If if I know the draft is over and they're entering the season here, but as that draft planning, like, are the, is there cards that already is being shown by that front office and what they'd want to do at next year's draft? Yeah, definitely not. I mean, even like the day before the draft, even one hour before the Thursday night starts every year, teams aren't showing you their cards. In fact, they're doing the opposite. Uh, it's funny now, even uh, who's the guy for uh, Adam Schefter, he's still trying to say, um, yeah, he had that bad report a couple of years ago that the 49ers traded all those picks to move oh, up yeah. for Mac Jones. He's still in all these years since is still trying to claim that the 49ers traded up for Mac Jones and then they traded, you know, they changed their mind afterwards. But it, it goes to speak to the NFL teams, even throughout the spring, they're trying to keep the reporters off their scent, whatnot. They're not going to give us anything. And and even at this point, they don't have those thoughts formulated yet. Because you, first of all, you don't know which college prospects are going to jump up. You know, at, at this point, what scouts have is their watch list. You have some guys that you're looking at as the early first round guys, but those are only the top of the tippy top studs, right? Like, and in, in by position, you know, a quarterback, for instance, it would be uh, uh, Caleb Williams and Drake May, right? And then, you know, at, at receiver, you'd have a guy like Marvin Harrison Jr. But like the the list for those positions, it's very short, just like the sure things. And then beyond that, you have like long watch lists. And then those guys, they can jump up, they can jump down. A guy like Dalton Kincaid from Utah last year, he was one of the guys who was lower on the tight end watch list. He had gotten onto it because he had started to impress as the T2 behind Brand Keithy, or not behind him, but, you know, the T2 in that Utah offense. But he finally got a shot last year. And, of course, scouts were, monitor, you know, passively monitoring him. Then he just blew up the rest of the season and whatnot. But, yeah, um, both because the all the prospects, their last year of data, that is the most important piece of data that you get on the prospects. We don't have that in yet. But also the NFL teams, they're, they don't know where they're going to be at in the spring. So they're not even ready to make draft boards or to even decide which positions. But but I think, you know, the thing that they are doing, it's that sort of long-term look of what potential, you know, the, the long-term team building thing and, and allowing themselves flexibility so that they have, you know, this path, we could go down this path, we could go down. So when they get there, they have more uh, sort of paths that they could go down. And I think one of those things that we talked about several times already is the decision not to give Kirk Cousins the extension he wanted or extend his contract, any which sets up the the potential that this spring the Vikings could be looking at whether it's bringing in an outside quarterback, whether it, it's in the draft selecting one. I think that all the or whether it's resigning Kirk Cousins, right? Like I think that all depends on how this coming season goes. But that's one of those things where you're sort of setting up that flexibility with a nod at the draft. But we're way too soon to, to get into any specifics, even with the, inside the building of the NFL teams uh, of anything draft re- related like that. Forno, what do you th- is there any cards that are being shown from the Vikings front office here? Or did Thor basically kind of sum that up perfectly? 
you don't show any cards ever. And if they're showing you cards, it's because they want information out, whether it be truthful or not. Like I, we're just gonna have to wait and see. And I think Thor makes a really good point with the watch list. And sometimes guys feel like sure things like this year, it's Caleb Williams, Drake may last year. It was Bryce young and CJ Stroud. They went one and two. And I don't think that was necessarily a mistake. Like there's a reason why guys are super high on watch lists this year. There are also going to be guys who come out of nowhere. And that's why my watch list, like specifically for quarterbacks is about 20 deep. I want to get a semblance of where guys are at. So then I can see the growth and development over the course of this calendar year. And I think that the decision is likely going to be a quarterback, but we also thought that it was likely going to be a quarterback this year at a lot of points too. There's just so much data that we don't have yet and showing any form of cards other than, Hey, I want to keep my draft picks or saying something like that. I there's just no point. One more piece of feedback here in purple daily on draft from John in San Antonio. He says, good morning, fellas. I wanted to say I really enjoy your shows on Mondays with Tyler and Thor. I love when you cover upcoming college prospects, even loved it better last week uh, being from Texas because I follow Quinn Ewers. You'd like the breakdown there he says, I'm not sure if it's been discussed or not, but next time you talk to them, can you ask them about Utah quarterback Cam Rising? He came back for, I believe it was his senior year, and I remember watching him last year. He was a really gutsy quarterback. Thank you, and keep up all the great work. Uh, Thor, what do you know about Cam Rising as an NFL prospect? Yeah, there's, well, I like Cam Rising as a college quarterback. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. Um, as far, you know, like, because the things you like about him, he's a really tough kid. I've seen that t- kid take a whole bunch of big shots and, and stay in there and rally his team and whatnot. I also like he hangs in the pocket. He'll go through his progressions. You've seen stuff like that. There's elements of that Utah offense that are pro style-ish. You know, they they run the 12 personnel thing. I was mentioning before when I was talking about Kincaid, you always see the two tight ends out there. Beginning of last year, it, or in the last couple of years, it was Keithy and then it was Kincaid. And then they'll have the, the two receivers and then one back. Sometimes they'll, they'll even shift someone into the backfield, get, give themselves a lead blocker. And then you see a lot of the play action stuff as well. So you see stuff like that. He goes through his progressions as well. Um, my issues with Cam Rising as uh, as an NFL guy is, I don't love his arm. Um, sometimes you see the ball flutter on him. Like he doesn't have like a high octane arm. Um, you don't see that like tight spiral, um, him like driving it into the windows, like different stuff like that. Beating, you know, we were talking about like scene charging downhill to contest at the, the catch point. In the NFL, you see more guys like that. So you need to really drive those throws in there. I, I wonder if Rising will be able to do that. And the other thing I'm concerned about with him, it's the accuracy dash placement. And probably I would say more the placement than the accuracy. He tends to get the ball within the area, but a lot of times with Rising's balls, you see the receiver have to adjust to it. And it's funny, this quirk of his, I actually think helped Dalton Kincaid's evaluation because you often saw Dalton Kincaid having to stab these balls outside of his frame and Dalton Kincaid had this absolutely minuscule drop rate. Like, you know, it was like 2%, even though he was always fishing these balls, or whether it was, you know, beneath his waist, over his head and whatnot. And again, a lot of times Cameron Rise, he can make the correct decision, get the ball, you know, where it's supposed to go, but then it's not right on the money with that. Some of the mechanical things need to be worked on a little bit. And just speaking to, and, and the other thing is the decisions aren't always the best. 
Um, but speaking to the the thing of, about his arm against his decisions, uh, people out there probably know this about me. Uh, the the thing that that you know I trust more than touchdown to INT ratio as far as projecting forward is the the PFF big time throws to turnover uh, worthy play rate. Cam Rising over his career at Utah, even though he's played with some of these NFL guys like we talked about, he's played with solid offensive lines. He's played with good running backs, multiple ones like that. Uh, his ratio over his entire career, it's 34 to 22. That's not a great uh, percentage. So there are some things that I like about him, but um, there's other things that, that concern me about him. I, For me, he's sort of a lower ceiling type guy that – you sort of um, he would be good to have in the locker room and whatnot. So if if you know if he has enough arm strength and whatnot, and you can sort of work with him on those mechanics, he could potentially be an early uh, practice squad dash QB three who maybe develops into a backup long term. But for me, I'm not. I don't see Cameron Rising as a guy who's going to be starting in the NFL. Well, how about you? What do you like or what do you not like about Rising? Cam Rising feels to me like that backup quarterback that everybody wants to replace a starter when you really don't have a good starting quarterback, think of Tim couch, Kelly Holcomb, early two thousands Browns. When they went on that playoff run and Holcomb ended up taking over that team. Holcomb wasn't a good quarterback, but he had this like element about him. He was gutsy. He was able to stand in there and make, make some of those big time throws rising feels like that type of player. I, I'm not overwhelmed by a lot of his arm talent. I think he's, he's got a lot of guts. He's got, a level of toughness about him that separates him from a lot of other players. And he's able to hit windows when they're open. One of the problems he has is that outside of people like Thor and myself, I challenge anybody to name a wide receiver, not a running back or tight end, a wide receiver that cam rising is thrown to. And that, that really hinders an evaluation because if you don't have wide receivers in college football, that makes it difficult because you need to be able to see some of those outside type throws. And while he's made some good throws to guys like Keithy and Kincaid, and he's had a really good running game about him, the wide receiver position has just been a bunch of crap. And it's, it really hindered you really being able to see him take anything to the next level. I think cam rising is a late day three type quarterback who has the ceiling of a backup. I think he's he's a gutsy guy who can win you a game if your quarterback goes down, but he's not going to be anything more than that, and I don't think he has that type of ceiling. Purple Daily on Draft every Monday right here on the Purple Daily YouTube channel. If you have any questions or things you want answered on the show or on show-related, hit us up on the YouTube comment section. Hit us up on the Score North app, too. We'll be back every Monday right here on the Purple Daily YouTube channel. We just want to see the Vikings win a Super Bowl before we die.